Hi, I'm Dr. Avanti Kumar Singh. In over 20 years of practicing both Western medicine and Eastern healing traditions, the most important thing that I've learned is that healing is a journey we take together. So on this podcast, I'll be demystifying Ayurveda and other integrated medicine, showing how these simple ancient practices are the keys to unlocking a healthy modern life. We are all healing catalysts because healing starts within. It starts with you and it starts right now. This is a Soulfire production. Episode number 43. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Healing Catalyst podcast. And if you're new here, welcome. I'm Avanti, and I'm so thrilled and so grateful that you're here. So today is part two of my conversation about movement as medicine with my beautiful friends, Tara Stiles and Michael Taylor. Tara and Michael are the co-founders of Strala Yoga, and they also happen to be married. And together, they have created an incredible approach to teaching people how to feel more ease in their bodies, how to use movement as medicine through Tai Chi and yoga. Now, last week in part one of this conversation, which is linked in the show notes because you don't want to miss that episode, I talked to Mike about Tai Chi and the concepts of softness and ease and how we need to learn them in a different way. We talked about the various martial arts and the differences between them and the four-step process of using Tai Chi in our everyday lives, how to access the medicine of Tai Chi. And as I said, if you haven't already listened, make sure you do. It's a fascinating conversation that will leave you with so many profound learnings about how you move in your body and how you move through the world. Now, today in part two, I talk with Tara about her journey as a dancer and how it's influenced how she teaches yoga. She talks about how leading yoga is both individual and collaborative between the guide and the students. She also tells us about the fluidity that she felt while dancing and the rigidity that she felt in her life. And that later when she started teaching yoga, she saw a lot of that rigidity and she wanted to experience it differently, which is really the reason that she started teaching yoga the way that she does. We also dive into the concept of ease as a central idea of yoga that she leads and writes about in her books. And we discuss the unique integration between yoga and Tai Chi that both Tara and Mike teach and how having an experience within yourself while respecting the forms and traditions of the teachings is the medicine of yoga and Tai Chi. You know, this is actually the second time that Tara has been on my podcast. The first time was last year, and she was actually the first interview that I ever did. And I remember introducing her in that episode when I had actually never met her and had only emailed her and messaged her on Instagram saying that our conversation felt like two old friends catching up over coffee. And now one year later, after dozens of phone calls and messages and teaching together online, on Instagram and in person, I can say that this conversation really is like two old friends catching up over Zoom, but talking about the things that matter the most to them. It's about the work that has so much meaning to each of us because we want to help all of you on your healing journeys. I'm so excited to share this with you. I hope that you enjoy part two of this two-part episode, my beautiful conversation with my beautiful friend, Tara Stiles, about yoga and movement as medicine. Thank you so much for joining me, Tara. I'm so excited to have you back on my podcast. 
Of course. My pleasure. It's always awesome to talk with you. And so cool that, you know, Mike and I and you, we all could get to know each other even more. I know it's so fun because, you know, actually the, I was reflecting on this before I started this morning. Um, you were the first interview that I did on this podcast a year ago. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Cause I, I was doing mostly all solo episodes and then I decided, okay, let me try some interviews. And you were the very first interview I did. I was so, so nervous to talk to you because I had never done an interview like this. And it's just so wonderful to come back full circle a year later, starting a new, you know, a new season of the podcast and you get to be my first guest. So thank you for doing that. I appreciate it. I'm so psyched. Well, (laughs) I'm just happy to talk to you anytime. I always learn so much and just get to know you and hang out as a friend. So thank you for, for having us back. Oh, no, absolutely. And so, you know, I, one of the reasons I really wanted to have you and Mike both on is, you know, I've, I've learned a lot more about your work and sort of your perspective and learning more about Mike and, and his work in Tai Chi and sort of how he teaches about it. And it's just fascinating to me. And sort of the theme for this first month of the podcast of season three is this idea of movement as medicine. And, you know, in the previous episode, I had a chance to talk to Mike about Tai Chi and sort of the concept of movement as medicine using Tai Chi. And so let's shift over to this idea of yoga, you know, and how that is medicine, how we can use it as movement as medicine. But before we go there, let's start with talking about you. I know a lot of people who listen to this podcast know a little bit about you have probably interacted with some of your work or your books or your videos. But, you know, I'm really interested in learning more about sort of your your training as a dancer and how that has informed how you teach yoga, because that was something that I observed reading more of your work and watching your videos, but then even interacting with you a few weeks ago when you were here in Chicago and just observing how you taught the class that I had the privilege of being in. So talk to me about that training as a dancer and how you think that's affected your approach to yoga. Well, talk about reflection. I think I've only really sat down with myself and started putting the pieces together in the last few years. You know, I think similar to you getting to know you and how you grew up with Ayurveda and then, you know, put things together that were always kind of there. I, I didn't really think about it so much in my conscious mind how I was leading the class and how that was so much 100% informed by my entire life growing up until I started really thinking about it more, but also sharing with teachers how to lead. And I love this idea that a yoga class or really any group experience where you're trying to help people feel better doesn't begin when you do the first movement of that class. It begins whenever you decide it begins, hopefully it's a lot of moments before that first moment. Mm -hmm. So at least it begins for me when I walk into the space, walk into the room. And it's important for me as a leader of something like yoga to not have a different personality when I'm hailing the taxi cab or riding over with you in the car than I am when I'm in the front of the room leading the yoga class. And that's a huge check for me. So it's something that I always shared in our yoga teacher trainings. And it was always met with this, oh my gosh, this is such a huge pressure relief. I never thought about this before. I was never taught this before in yoga. And I thought, well, it's probably just naturally there in a lot of yoga teachers. They're being a good person. They're talking to people before and after class. But 
I really saw in the New York kind of busy modern yoga world, it started to become the opposite of that. The teacher would come in last minute because mostly no fault of their own. They're coming from teaching five other classes and running to the front of the room and okay, let's get going. <laughs> and then mm -hmm. it's over. And then you, you kind of ditch out and do the next thing. But I really kind of thought that that's a huge part of my dance training was the entire movement as one big loop or one big phrase, one big kind of choreography. And what I always loved about yoga as opposed to dance was it's not a performance for the people. You're doing this beautiful thing with the people kind of all together. So my experience being a dancer and then comparing to yoga is more like the conductor is the guide and the orchestra are playing all of their instruments and everybody's doing this together in such a beautiful, harmonious way that feels very freeing. And for a lot of people, artistic as well. I think a lot of people that feel creative love to be in a yoga class that helps them also feel more creative. So I naturally had been doing a lot of these things that I learned from dance uh, in my leading as well. So, so yeah, I grew up in a tiny little town, not a, not a big deal dance school or anything, but my mom took me there when I was four. I think she said, I pointed at the TV and I said, I want to do that. There was some little girl probably in a diapers commercial doing a something, <laughs> you know, some movement. So she understood that as dance and, and I fell in love right away. I always wanted to go. My mom said, if there's ever a day that you don't want to do this, we're not going back because it's a cost, you know, we have to pay for this. So I was really taking it seriously from the beginning and always craving more and more instruction, better teachers, better experiences. And I got to go to Chicago quite a bit, which I was really excited about to learn from the teachers that were in residence there and the teachers that came through there to our little conventions that we went to and performed at. And I just have so many wonderful memories being in big rooms with lots of dancers, with an important teacher, and just wanting to be dropped off there forever <laughs> and not mm -hmm. go home to kind of continue learning. So that's basically what I did. I went to a conservatory for dance a little bit north of Chicago for a little while and really took it seriously. It was on the path to being professional, was kind of dancing around some small companies here and there. And at the same time, I got introduced to yoga in that program and never thought that that would be a job. It wasn't, you know, something that was a job I really saw anybody doing in the world at that mm -hmm. time, but right. I was really appreciative. This was a way to look at my own life from a healing perspective. So this was a huge language around all of these raw feelings that I've had my whole life. And I just kept pursuing it for myself. And one thing continued to lead to another. And I learned more about yoga and started sharing it. And more yoga started to take over my time and less dance, which um, I definitely had a I wouldn't say a crisis, but one of those moments where if you're taking dance seriously, you're going to class every day, you're participating in performances, things like that. And if you're not doing that every day, it's sort of, you're not doing it at all. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I had one of those moments. It was either continue with dance and get a job, stay in a dance company, commit to that, or open up my perspective a little bit and see what else is possible for me. So I chose mm -hmm. that second option. So what's so interesting is that you have this very innovative way of looking at movement. 
but you came from a dance background, which can be very rigid. Hmm. So do you feel like you were stuck in that rigidity as a dancer going through your training or did you, were you always thinking sort of bigger or was that a big shift for you? I think I had really great dance teachers once I got to this conservatory. Mm -hmm. So I never experienced dance as rigidity. I always knew if I was being rigid in my movement and dance that I was doing it wrong. So I really understood that as a right and wrong, but my rigidity was there from life. (laughs) Uh And so I completely related to putting your rigidity in your yoga because it can be this compartmentalized place that you can try to figure out your life. And that's kind of a lot of people's experience in, in, in yoga. And I found myself in yoga playing with that. Well, this isn't dance. I'm not trying to be fluid. I'm dealing with myself. So the fluidity is optional. I found myself finding more rigidity in my early experiences of yoga and trying to do it kind of perfectly to make something happen. And even trying to show the yoga teachers that I could do the movement so they could come over and correct me. And all of these things that I confused between doing a good job in yoga and doing a good job in life. So I think it's really easy to express that rigidity in yoga for sure. But for me, for some reason, it never came from dance. Dance was always this challenging experience, definitely kind of physically to the max of what's possible for my own body. But I always understood that if I'm rigid, if I'm stuck, if I'm tense, the movement just isn't going to happen as well. So that's so interesting that, I mean, I would have totally thought it would be the other way that you'd have that rigidity in dance, but then you found the fluidity in yoga, but you're saying it's the other way. So how did you go from that sort of rigidity in yoga that you first experienced to where you are now? Or maybe the better question is, why were you not able to apply that fluidity that you felt in dance to yoga when you first started? Oh my gosh. I think for me, yoga was the first container that I was allowing myself to feel myself, to feel my feelings, to feel my past experience growing up in life, all of the things that happen, at least in my family and my upbringing, there was no talking about your feelings. Let's talk about what just happened. It was sort of, Mm -hmm. you know, push it down. (laughs) Everything's Mm -hmm. okay. So for me, having that express and these kind of stranger rigid ways in yoga, there was, there was just no way out. I was kind of, you know, there's so many metaphors in yoga where the, the little grass tries to come up through the cracks, but I definitely felt like that. And for me, I think it was the comedy that I would see in the yoga teacher sometimes that allowed me to relax if a yoga teacher was making a joke or if they were being too sort of dogmatic in a way, I would find that funny. And I would think, oh, well, that doesn't need to be like that. Or when I was starting to think about leading yoga, I would never want to do that in a class, or I would never want to pretend that I sort of have everything in life figured out. So when I started to create a little bit of distance between the practice and the leading and the experience, I started to realize, oh, I don't need to be so panicked and freaked out about my emotions. They're here, they're there. I can bring in everything that I learned in life to this and sort of monitor my own rigidity and say, okay, it's coming up again. I can relax a little bit. I can move a little bit easier. It's coming up again. 
I can relax and move a bit easier, kind of like a meditation when we learn, okay, the thoughts coming, it's there. I'm going to choose to come back to my breath. So it became a lot more manageable process for me. And I also think I was just at that age where I was naive and impressionable. And I was just trying so hard (laughs) to be good at it and to be seen by anybody as somebody who's trying to be kind of spiritually doing a good job. And once I realized that that was silly, that I was trying to perform for approval in this kind of world, I realized, oh, I don't need to do that. That's a strange thing. It's my own issue. I can kind of work through that within this practice and hopefully find a better way. Yeah. So what did you find so compelling about dance that you spent the first however many years of your life on this path to become a professional dancer, and then you switched to yoga. What was it about dance that moved you so much? For me, it was just that it was the thing that moved me so much. It just felt Mm. like this is what I'm here to do. I'm here to move myself in front of people and then people are moved and, and that's it. I didn't really see anything else for me to do. (laughs) It seems so silly, but even just as a little kid, we performed at nursing homes and community centers and the lions club and the VFW and whatever was really around. And I remember so many of these moments performing for elderly people and seeing them smile and seeing them have that twinkle in their eye of maybe a memory that they had. And me just being, you know, six, seven, eight, nine-year-old kid thinking this is the coolest thing ever that I can make somebody smile by moving myself, by creating this rhythm with them or for them in this way. And I love these moments kind of after the performance was over where there'd be a little bit of time. It wasn't, you know, get in your car and let's go home already. You know, parents weren't quite yet wrangling the kids together. And I would literally just go up and hang out with somebody in their wheelchair or whatever it was and just hear what they had to say. And they would always say they were so thankful that I was there performing or they would tell me a story from their life. And I have all of these really nice memories of those kinds of moments. And I just couldn't see anything better to do. (laughs) And I remember kind of yeah, getting getting older. And then the stage became more separate. It was, oh, now I'm a professional and I'm on this stage. And you don't really talk to the audience as much. Mm. Some important people may come backstage and all of that, but there seemed more of this layer of who gets to interact with the dancers. And that was maybe my own pulling toward yoga eventually, because I wanted to dance with the people and for the people as well. Mm-hmm. So then how did you bring that love, like, you know, to leave that and then go into yoga? I mean, where was the translation for you of how you sort of met that internal need that you had? Yeah, for me, it was definitely when I first started, well, taking a lot of yoga classes and doing some trainings and all of these things and just casually leading yoga to people one on one. I still wasn't considering, okay, this is going to be a career path for me. I definitely had in my mind, maybe from people asking me because it was so strange at the time, it was a lot of people's job after 10 jobs didn't work out. A lot of the people in my teacher training were 
you know, they had been a school teacher for 20 years and they had had enough. And this was something that they really wanted to do to pursue, to fulfill their life's goal. And I was 20 kind of on the other side of that. I said, well, I don't have this big life that I've lived already, but I love this. And I don't know if I want to do this for a job. I don't know if I want to commit to a 7 PM class at a yoga studio every night. I want to have my options kind of wide open Mm -hmm. to do lots of different things, but something kept pulling me back in. And I think it wasn't really the structure of other yoga studios that already existed, but the structure of talking to people about yoga, about their own life experience, and then seeing if I could kind of recreate those moments just like when I was a kid sitting with somebody at the nursing home. Yeah. And I started to do that with people one-on-one and small group classes, but they were always opportunities that were new, that weren't in a kind of established existing gym or yoga studio. It was in somebody's home or in a new place or in the park. So I think that creating a new experience, almost like starting the class when you start the class way before the class starts, I needed to have that new container. I couldn't just plug myself into, you know, Sally's yoga studio up the street. That wasn't going to do it for me. Right. And just doing it in a prescribed way, but a much more interactive way where you were connecting with people. And this was something that Mike and I talked a lot about also is this whole idea of connection and how that is very healing and in movement, how you use that in in Tai Chi of leaning on somebody else and how does that energy transfer? How does the movement transfer? Things like that. So it's all, it's also fascinating. And so my question is, you know, how did you sort of develop this concept of ease? Like that's a predominant theme in in what you write about, what you talk about, how you teach. Tell me about a little bit about the ease that came into yoga, because as we were talking about yoga and the way that it's been presented in the Western world is very rigid. Is very much about the specific postures and aligning and this and that, which is not what yoga truly was or is. <laughs> That's not what it is actually at all. And so how did you sort of come into that idea of ease? Yeah, I felt the same way, uh, you know, not having grown up in the tradition of yoga, but seeing how almost comical the rigidity could be in a class or between a teacher and a student and the dominance and all of these things just felt so wrong to me that when I did start leading, I had a long list of what I didn't want to do, but I didn't have a very big list of what I did want to do, (laughs) but I knew I wanted to do something and I didn't want to be negative really about, Oh, this isn't about this. And this isn't about this. So when people started coming to my classes that were in Mike's apartment at the time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. They weren't people that we were convincing to come from other yoga studios. They were people we were meeting from regular life at a coffee shop. We were just talking about yoga. Then somebody would come and they would bring a friend. So these were new people to yoga and their feedback on what I was kind of naturally doing without really understanding. It kind of felt like a laboratory. It's all happening in real time was literally defining what I was doing for me. They would say, this is not rigid at all. This is filled with ease. You know, they wouldn't say it in such a dreamy kind of wellness way, but they would literally use the word ease. They would say, I feel so relaxed. I feel energized. I feel 
like I can do more with less effort. I'm not trying so hard, but more is happening. And they were describing to me the real what and the ins and outs of, of really what I was doing. And, and what I was doing was not focusing on the pose as an endpoint, I think as a goal and, and not in this, oh, if you can do this version, do that. And if you can't, then, oh, too bad for you, but here's a way to eventually get there. I kind of took all of that away and said, you know, move, 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 move. Let's do the thing. And then what happens was people do what they can and, and they're able to do a little bit more because they're not being rigid and their bodies become more capable. And I don't need to give a big lecture about it. It's just happening. And I think that was so much informed by my dance background. You don't ever stop in a, in a, you know, a turn and say, okay, this is the place I'm going to be mid turn. No, you just do the turn. (laughs) You have to be in the right body position for the turn to happen. But what I started to really see was these poses were happening, but they were becoming less posy and more soft in, in the area of them. And I remember a woman who became a friend of mine is a, a talent agent in Chicago. And she said to me once that, uh, Cindy Crawford never took a bad picture because she was always doing all of this. And I, I thought at the time, I thought that was such a funny thing to say, because of course, Cindy Crawford is, you know, everybody agrees that she's beautiful in a certain way. And when people would take pictures or videos, or when a journalist would come to the studio, they never took a bad picture because everyone was always relaxed and whatever version of the pose they were in, it looked beautiful because they felt good in it. And so all of these kind of connections started to really make sense to me of, of now what I'm actually doing, not just the list of what I don't want to be doing. Mm-hmm. And so how did it progress from there? This idea of ease, like how did you develop this concept of movement? Because what you're describing is also it, it's medicine, because for these people who never knew what yoga was to come to a yoga class with you and have this profound experience where they're saying, I'm not rigid. I I feel like I could do more. I mean, these are all things that are very healing to people, even if they don't know why. Right. (laughs) Right. So how did you start to build upon that? It just started to get really fun. Honestly, Mm -hmm. people were coming regularly, bringing their friends and just after sometimes a few classes or a few months because we like to hang around and have that before and after class time, people would just tell us all of these things that were happening in their lives. And sometimes you just think, Oh, it's New York. Cool things happen. you got a promotion, you changed jobs, you got in a better relationship, your health improved. And then you're, then you're thinking, well, this is really cool. It's happening all the time. It's continuing to happen. The possibilities of this happening are getting more and more in every class. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so it started to become kind of a funny thing that people would race up after class and and tell us all of these things. And we really just started to focus on, okay, let's just make sure we don't mess this up. You know, if this is actually working, let's figure out what the container is, not get so dogmatic in what that container is, but really see what's happening. And then Mike started, you know, as you know, now it's hard to get him to talk about anything, but (laughs) he started talking to me more about Tai Chi. So I started practicing some Tai Chi with him, reading the books that he had hanging around about Tai Chi. And then I'm thinking, oh, wow, all of the things that I'm trying to do that are, that I'm kind of unaware of really for this yoga is already written down in Tai Chi. 
And then we meet Sam Berlin, who's a shiatsu practitioner. And he even told me he would observe a class and he said, Tara, how you're moving around the space and kind of intuitively figuring out when to touch somebody, when not to, it's not just about the touch, but how you're moving from your middle, that's shiatsu. And I'm thinking, well, maybe I should learn shiatsu. Mm -hmm. So really not so in an addition way, adding this and adding that, or making a fusion yoga class, really thinking about the whole approach of, and from the perspective of healing from, from the very first moment. And I think naturally I have a lot of that in me, just that curiosity to sit with somebody at the nursing home and say, how are you doing? And, you know, see if it's okay if I hold their hand or not, or where should I put my body? But when I started learning more on purpose about Tai Chi, about Shiatsu, and a little bit now with you, with Ayurveda, I can do the things that I'm trying to do naturally so much better because I know now I know a little secret. If a woman is trying to conceive, I can lean on their master reproductive point in Shavasana. I don't need to tell them I am helping you conceive right. because that ruins the whole thing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and you don't know if you helped or not, but it can't hurt. So, so knowing more and empowering myself through knowledge of what I actually just wanted to do naturally has, has really, I think, helped not mess it up. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's been sort of this confluence of maybe not coincidences, but, you know, these these meetings of, oh, I'm already doing this. And then I meet Mike and he's doing Tai Chi. And it sort of sounds a little bit like what I'm doing. So let me add that in. And I have this dance background. So it's like this fusion that you've created. But what's so interesting is that even though these modalities are separate modalities. They came from different places, different times, different textbooks. There's so much in common that allows for this integration to happen, right? For you to be able to have a class like this where it just fits together. It's not like you're trying to force it together. I mean, and I think that was what was so striking when I took a class in person. I mean, I've done your videos and things like that. It's very different to do a class in person with you. And that's what struck me is that, you know, you were teaching yoga, but it wasn't exactly yoga. I mean, it was, I don't even know how to describe it. There was this sense of ease to it. It just came together so well with this idea. And you kept saying, move from your middle and, you know, let's move this way or let's move that way. Like just the language that you use, but you still got us into these quote poses, but there was no rigidity to it. So I, I just found it fascinating. And I, I don't even know what I'm asking you right now, but I'm just, I think I'm just like verbalizing that it's just really fascinating to hear how this kind of came together. And this concept of moving from your middle and the softness that, that Mike was talking about in Tai Chi, I think is really profound. You know, I always say in Ayurveda that awareness is the first step. Hmm. That that is the key to everything. People will ask me all the time, well, how do I start, you know, living a more Ayurvedic lifestyle? And I always say awareness. Hmm. And that's actually exactly what Mike said. Hmm. Awareness. It's checking in with yourself. How am I feeling? How am I moving? Which again, there's that similarity. What I think is so cool and what I love so much about you as well is my goal with leading has never been to even teach somebody how to do yoga or 
especially now I, I'm not teaching somebody how to do Tai Chi or teaching somebody how to do Shiatsu. It's helping somebody feel more connected to themselves. So what I love about a yoga class is it, it doesn't look like a, I mean, I, I hope it never feels like somebody should not be able to come up to me after and say, oh, we were doing Tai Chi and we were doing a little bit of Shiatsu. I would be horrified because all of that kind of needs to, in a way, disappear. And the person doing the class, the goal, at least for me, is that they feel just more like themselves, like they're almost inventing the yoga from the inside out. So when I talk to people after class and they say, oh, I just feel more like myself right now. And I look around the room and everybody's more comfortable in themselves. So they're more comfortable with the people around them. Then that's super cool. I think that's something I also learned what I didn't want to do. And it sneaks up in Tai Chi as well. I think Tai Chi is just not as popular maybe yet that you don't see the, the rigidity in Tai Chi. But I see some of these old videos of people that Mike knows that he studied with or teachers down the line. And you can see their students trying to almost emulate the teacher or do their finger in the same way, or, you know, it's very stylized. And I, I don't want to put upon people that they're doing a style or a stylized thing, even though this is like you said, it, it could be very different. And it is technically because we have to call it something, a style of yoga but really it should feel not like a style at all. <laughs> right. Well, I think what you're getting at is really important. So there's, you know, there is this, this piece of the technique, right? And even Mike spoke to that. There are these techniques that, in, that exist in Tai Chi and Qigong and even in yoga, you know, whether it's the actual asanas that you're talking about, the specific postures or the, the mudras, the hand gestures that you're doing. I mean, these are energy switches we're talking about. Right. So there are those techniques, but I think what, what maybe what you're speaking about is that when it becomes this idealized sort of like mimic the exact, you know, posture, the exact form of something to the point where there's no awareness and internal awareness of how it feels to you. Cause you can do a mudra, a hand gesture, technically correct, but it can be personalized to what is the feeling you're having inside of you. So there's like that connection point that I think is really, for me, the distinguishing factor of just mimicking someone versus having an experience within mm. yourself using that technique. Yeah. And it's so freeing as a guide, an instructor, whatever, you know, we want to call ourselves to let people be themselves too. Mm -hmm. I've been in so many classes where I felt this pressure to do it exactly like the person next to me was doing it, whether that pressure is coming from the inside or from the room or the teacher, it's uh, it's exhausting in a way. So I understand why so many teachers burn out because, you know, we, we probably learned that somewhere along the line, this is how you do it. This is how you share it the end, but it's in my experience and what I've learned from the healing arts side, not so much the kind of modern yoga side, although like you say, this is yoga is letting people have that self-awareness and giving that space for them to feel that way, not interrupting it, finding when it's a good time to go and make contact with them to help them have more of that experience or redirect it in a way that you could guess is a little bit more useful, but definitely not trying to dominate anyone through kind of what you think you know. 
And I learned so much of that with shiatsu. Literally, if you're in an uncomfortable position, when you touch somebody, it's going to be bad for them. <laughs> Even mm-hmm. if you think, oh, I'm suffering, I'm going to push them in the right place. But shiatsu just explains that so wonderfully. And then, you know, I just think back of my whole life. <laughs> this yeah. is so fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's sort of that idea that the energy that you bring to something, right? That whole idea of the energy that you bring into this room is going to mm. affect everybody, right? Mm. And so when you make contact with someone, there's an energy transfer. Mm-hmm. There isn't, you don't even have to actually make contact when you come close to somebody or are in the same, you know, aura space, you have an effect on their energy. And so mm. being conscious of that, you know, it's like my mother would always say, and this, they say this in Ayurveda that, you know, when you're preparing food, you shouldn't do it if you're angry or upset because that energy goes into the food. Mm. And it doesn't matter how fresh the ingredients are, how pure the ingredients are, how delicious the, you know, the recipe is, that food is not going to taste very good mm. if there are these, these energetic components of anger or sadness or grief or whatever it is that have been infused into the food. So it's sort of the same thing of, you know, when you are you know, doing shiatsu when you are touching somebody, if you are helping them, um, you know, doing some kind of an adjustment or whatever, whatever you want to call it in a yoga class or in any class, the energy that you're bringing. So like you said, if you're suffering in the position that you are as the instructor or the guide, that's transferring to the, the student that you're trying to help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> literally <laughs> not really helping them in any way. So, um, you know, I wanted to ask you, you know, how do you view yoga as medicine and as healing? What does that mean to you? I think I'll always lead yoga every day, as long as I can forever. I'll definitely always have some regular yoga practice with people in my life because I continue to have such a profound healing experience with it. And I think there's so much about the approach about, like you say, the awareness and the energy of what you can bring to yoga. You know, the yoga pose isn't going to fix you or make you better, but all of the different directions that you move yourself in with yoga, I don't think anything will ever compare to that. Tai Chi is wonderful, but I think it's wonderful, at least how I understand it right now, mostly for the the blueprints of how to do everything else, how to connect with somebody, but the actual Mike makes fun of me. I call it the Tai Chi dance, the little, the performance of the Tai Chi that everybody does in the park. That's really cool to learn. It's amazing, but you're just on your feet. And with yoga, you learn how to crawl down to the ground. You learn how to stand up and stretch. You learn how to go this way or that way and in all directions. And you can put them together in countless ways and invent your own movements as medicine to help you with exactly what you need right now. Even if you start a practice and you just have in mind that you're stressed out and maybe you intuitively get down to the ground and do some seated movements a little bit, one side, a little bit, the other side, that's going to help you instantly feel better, more connected having that openness that your mental state is connected to what's happening in your body your body's not just a problem to deal with and your mind is where everything amazing is. It's okay. If my back hurts, maybe something's going on that I can connect the dots a little bit, or if I have a little bit of shoulder stiffness, maybe something's happening there in a very real way. Maybe I'm just stressed. So I'm always hunching my shoulders. And if I can work on my 
whole self together, I will stop that habit of hunching forward and maybe open up a little bit more. So it's not like, you know, so strange, oh, my mind's going to fix my body, but being more aware of all of those different connections together is super incredible. So I don't think it even takes much awareness. You know, you can just start a practice, do a little bit of something and whatever's happening with you, you'll come out the other side feeling a little bit better and hopefully having a bit more awareness of how that happened. So you can come back to it the next day when there's another problem, (laughs) there's another situation to heal yourself from for sure. And so that makes up a really good question. Then what's the difference between exercise and yoga? Because so many people that you talk to who are, let's say runners are the, the first thing that comes to mind. They'll say that running is, is medicine for them. It's healing for them. And, you know, so many people will even say, I mean, it's changed a little bit with yoga of, you know, that's not strenuous enough. It's not exercise. It's Mm -hmm. not this, it's not that. What do you think the difference is between exercise or running and yoga? My goodness. Well, I think everybody, a lot of people have different reactions to this as well. I'm not so protective of anything. I, I love respecting people and the, we've had this conversation before too, the the wisdoms are wonderful, but I, I, I'm, I'll stand up for the people who pass these down so much more than I'll stand up for the word yoga on the top of the billboard. It's like, yeah, well, show me your teacher and let's talk to them and see how they feel. So I don't have this kind of protective stronghold on, on the word yoga, but this idea of mindfulness when you're doing something physical, connecting your breath and body together as one running can be very meditative. And I understand that that's, you know, that runner's high, that kind of beautiful experience people get, but it's a lot different than getting down on the ground, doing some yoga for sure. A lot of people feel that connection in nature, but it's still a little bit different from moving your body in all these different ways. I think you can do the idea of yoga within everything. Hopefully that's part of the goal too, is, well, I want to live my yoga when I'm running. I want to live it when I'm cooking. I want to live it when I'm outside, but I'm not doing all of the things. It's sort of the, the yoga practice, at least how I understand it is, is so luxurious. Here's your time where you get to look at yourself from all these literally different angles, (laughs) different Mm -hmm. places and do these things. And then when it's over, it doesn't need to end, but it changes forms, you know, kind of like, I would imagine you, you're a baby and you grow up a little bit. You're not the baby anymore, but you, you're still you within that. So for me, it's that I'm still bringing what I've learned from my yoga practice today into playing with Daisy, into talking with you, but I'm not doing yoga right now. I'm talking with you, hopefully, you know giving something that's interesting, but making a good connection and not messing it up, <laughs> mm-hmm. <Yeah. laughs> but doing yeah. the best I can with that for sure. Right. No. And I, and I hear that. And yeah, I think it's, it, it comes down to that awareness and sort of how are you integrating what you're doing in this moment to the present moment, but then also to your life and how are you carrying it forward? Maybe that's sort of the difference. For me, anyway, I think with yoga and even Tai Chi, some of these healing modalities are very much about how does it integrate into your life? And it's not seen as separate. And so, you know, exercise 
is seen as like something separate from the rest of your life, right? <laughs> and to your point, you know, that running is a beautiful experience. And if that experience of running is then taken into the rest of your life, well, then it could be said that it's yoga, right? Yeah. You're bringing it into everything that you do and not just leaving it with your running shoes outside after you've, you know, had this beautiful run. So yeah, that's, um, that's an interesting thing to, to consider. I wanted to ask you one more question. So how have you been able to, with Mike, bring yoga and Tai Chi, Qigong, all of these healing arts, these healing modalities together? Like, how do you approach teaching them? I mean, I know what you do in your class, but then Mike is leading a whole Tai Chi training right now. And so do you see them as separate? Do you see them as together? Like, how is that evolving for you guys? Yeah, I think something interesting happened, which probably happens with a lot of different things over time, was the more that I gained confidence in really the language of how I was leading the breath, body connection and yoga, the more people started asking about Tai Chi. And for the yoga part of everything that we do, Tai Chi is, it's there. It's sort of the, the, the software, the, the blueprint, the whatever. I mean, all that stuff sounds kind of corny, but it's just kind of that, that way of life, that softness. That's really not at least in, you know, what we can all learn with the people that are alive in yoga so much. It's yoga's, you know, the history, the philosophy, the, the, the poses, the forms. So I love this idea of you can be soft in your yoga and, and get a lot done and move around a whole lot. So when people started coming up and asking about this, what's happening, what's going on, why? <laughs> you know? And for a long time, of course you say, I don't know, it's just working. It's just working. And then finally, the more I gained confidence around the language of it, well, it's, it's the practice of Tai Chi, but we're doing this yoga form. And then Mike would lead because we'd get so many people asking, well, let's learn Tai Chi. And I would say, well, I'm not teaching Tai Chi, but we're already doing it in this yoga. But people would ask for a Tai Chi class. So we started to do these little classes at the studio or whenever we were somewhere of specifically Tai Chi led by Mike. And people loved it because they could then go share this with their friends and family that maybe don't want to get down on the ground and do yoga. And they started seeing all these more windows of opportunities to help other people with just the form of Tai Chi. And it just started a lot more conversation in our community around how to practice yoga in this Tai Chi way. So for us, it's sort of Tai Chi is the way that we approach everything and evolving as getting better as the goal, improving as the goal. And just so many conversations. I remember training a bunch of gals were there from Europe and they're just so chill. And they said, well, we don't want to improve. We want to just love ourselves. And there's a lot of that in the wellness culture, love yourself. And I thought, well, this is really interesting. And I don't need to argue or make something up from my brain. But Tai Chi says, <laughs> when you practice on improving, you do love yourself. You're moving toward a better way. And it's not about hating where you are now to you know, be able to physically do something harder, but improvement is the process of growth and you're either growing or you're decaying. So Tai Chi just has such a wonderful way of 
explaining a lot of the kind of misconceptions of how to do yoga. Really, a lot of people would do something in a lazy way and say, well, I just, I'm just tired today. And I say, well, what if you shake it off a little bit and bring your energy up a little bit? And how does that feel? Okay. I, I feel like I can do it now. I feel a little bit more empowered. So I think Tai Chi is a wonderful way of balancing yourself instead of just kind of sinking into these a little bit too rigid habit or a little bit too giving up habits that, you know, we all kind of have in us in different times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's really, it's fascinating to think about bringing the two together. And I'm, the wheels are turning in my head ever since I talked to Mike about how Tai Chi infuses with Ayurveda. I mean, I know that it does. And I'm just thinking about how all the ways that it's, it shows up in Ayurveda too, because I know that none of these, these healing modalities are separate necessarily. Yes, they came from different places, different times, different cultures but they're all integrated in in so many beautiful ways. And it's just maybe finding those integration points, which is what I think I I just so appreciate about what you and Mike have done is to find that integration point between Tai Chi and yoga. And then the way that you're sharing it with people in a way that's accessible and understandable and approachable, because it can be very daunting to come to a healing modality from the East Mm-hmm. with a different language, with a different vocabulary, a different way of looking at the world or viewing human beings, viewing ourselves and figure out, well, how, how do I access that? Because I'm from a different place, from a different culture. I don't speak that language. It's not my you know, spiritual beliefs, whatever you want to say. And then to be able to come to it and then access the healing power within it, I think is pretty profound. So thank you for doing that. Oh, I don't know. It just helps me feel better. And it is such an easier way to talk to people about yoga or even convince people to do it. I mean, I went on the local radio here the other day and it was hilarious. The host was saying, oh, yoga, is that, is there a raccoon pose or this or that? Uh Or am I going to have to touch my toes? And, you know, it doesn't really matter what I say, but if I can just sit there across from the host and soften myself and breathe, the coolest thing happened, which I see as a big sign of success halfway through. He said, you know, I feel better just talking with you. <laughs> I thought, well, yeah, there you go. So, so that's really mm-hmm. it. That softness. So your breath is moving through you, you know, doing what you can do, knowing that the pose is not the goal at all and moving in a way that feels like you. And, and of course there's a right way to move and a wrong way to move, but Tai Chi shows us to move from your middle and everything goes from there, but we don't need to make people feel bad if they're doing it incorrectly. You know, that doesn't help anybody at all. So, right. Right. And so where can people learn more about, you know, your trainings, your classes, how to maybe even take Mike's training? Where can they learn more about that? Sure. Just stralayoga.com. And we have an app now, thanks to technology there's live class every day and the training is there and, but there's more information on stralayoga.com, but you can download the app, just Strala Yoga as well and practice along every day if you like, or whenever you like, because technology allows us to have the videos there all the time. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. We, we will make sure that's linked in the, uh, the show notes. So there'll be information about Mike's training, but also, um, which is specifically in the Strala home app 
and also on the website, but then also your classes and all that kind of stuff. So can I do a couple speed round questions with you to finish? Sure. Off? Yeah. Sounds fun. Okay. Sounds good. So, um, complete the sentence. Yoga is connection. What is one myth about yoga that we need to change? You have to be flexible in order to practice. <laughs> what is one thing that most people don't know about you? I had a pony growing up. <laughs> you did? You did. How fun. The rescue pony. <laughs> oh, wow. That must have been fun. It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> what was your pony's name? Honey Babe. <laughs> Honey Babe? I know. We didn't Adorable. name her, but it's kind of an awesome name. Love it. That's a great name. What is a project that you're working on right now that you're really excited about? I'm trying to write a book and I, I, I tease myself about this. I'm trying to write a book without pictures and without telling anybody how to do yoga or really how to do anything at all. <laughs> okay. That sounds intriguing. We'll have to talk <laughs> offline about that. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, what is one of your favorite things that you've done in the last month? In the last month, oh, that's easy. Coming to see you in person Aww. in Chicago. <laughs> that, I did not mean together. for you to say that, but and meet your family. <laughs> oh, you're so so fun. You're so sweet. Uh, what is a book that you're reading to Daisy right now? Okay, so weirdly, and this may put me in the bad mom category, but she's into kind of horror things a little bit, or wanting to know. <laughs> so. <laughs> What's the story that it's, it's called the Grimm's tales or something like that mm -hmm. with the two little kids and their, oh gosh, it's weird. Um, it's, it's really a young adult book, but I got it for her for later when she was born and she found it and I started reading it to her Hansel and Gretel, it, it, but it's like the whole, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. The she's before, into it. She's into it. Okay. It's bad. <laughs> she loves all that stuff. What book are you reading right now? Oh gosh, I'm reading for the second time because I just find it so useful for my own life. Jamie Edinburgh's writing myself home and she's a fiction author. I just became friends with her online and started reading her books, but it's the first one that she's written kind of about herself. Mm -hmm. And it also has a little bit of the artist's way kind of attitude in there. And then I get to know her more and she's starting to help people with their writing projects. So some, somebody that's just really compelling to me for sure. Amazing. That's cool. What's a song that you're listening to on repeat right now? I need to get some new songs, but always better way. Yeah. <laughs> ben Harper, for yeah. sure. I just play it all the time. Great song. Great song. Um, well, this feels like a good place to end our time together. And I didn't get to ask these questions of Mike, but that's okay. I will on another future episode because I know he'll be back. <laughs> if I offer up the phrase to catalyze healing, what comes up for you? Pay attention to yourself. <laughs> yeah. Notice how you feel. Yeah. Thank you, Tara. Thank you so much. It's been so fun having you and Mike here to talk about movement as medicine. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks again for listening to The Healing Catalyst. If you love what you heard, please hit follow and pass it along to a friend. And if you're feeling really inspired, please rate and review so that others can find this podcast more easily. To learn more, head to avantikumarsingh.com. And to connect with me directly, find me on Instagram at avantikumarsingh. I'll be back next week and hope that you will be too. Until then, remember, with the right catalyst, you have the power to activate your own healing because healing starts within.